I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Drown myself in the ocean. by my guest today on the program, Parker Gispert. Let me tell you a little bit about Parker Gispert. Now, I'm sure you've heard this. When it comes to real estate, one of the most important things to keep in mind is location, location, location. Undoubtedly, that's true. But it turns out that it also holds true when you're writing an album. And the story behind Parker Gispert's new effort, Sunlight Tonight, makes this rather plain to see. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold that thought while we back up a bit. Parker Gispert was born in Florida, but soon after, his family ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia. Gispert attended the exclusive Westminster schools, and midway through high school, he was playing guitar, writing songs, and fantasizing about playing guitar and writing songs for a living. That's right, Parker Gispert wanted to be in a band. Around 16, he was listening to The Beatles, Pavement, Modest Mouse, and Built to Spill. But what really changed his life was the roster of bands on the Athens-based record label Elephant Six. Gispert became mesmerized by Neutral Milk Hotel, Olivia Tremor Control, and Elf Power. And when it came time to start thinking about college, the University of Georgia in Athens was the most logical choice. Once there, Gispert teamed up with fellow Westminster classmate Julian Doro and bassist Hank Sullivan, and that band Gispert fantasized about being in was born. How excited was Gispert about that? Well, put it this way. When the band got their first gig at the Down Under Club in Athens and the owner asked what they were called, Gispert realized he was so excited about his band, he'd forgotten to name them. So, off the top of his head, and fittingly enough, he said, we're called the Wigs, and the Wigs were born. Now, the Wigs were a great live band early on, and word spread fast. Soon, they were heading to New York and opening for everyone from Franz Ferdinand to the drive-by truckers. RCA signed them to a development deal in 2004, but that soured fast and went nowhere. But the Wigs were clearly a band That was headed somewhere, and when it came time to record their 2005 debut album, Give Em All a Big Fat Lip, the band were artistically and emotionally ready to go. Financially, however, they weren't ready at all. They were poor college students, and they had no money. Now, 
Here's a great lesson for any aspiring young band. Listen to how the Wigs pulled this off. They recorded the album at Ross Crane Frat House. They used equipment they bought on eBay. And guess what they did with that equipment when they were done? That's right. They sold it. And they made a profit. You know what else they made with that record? A ton of new fans. Rolling Stone declared the Wigs were the best unsigned band in America, and Dave Matthews said, not for long they aren't, and he signed them to his ATO label. From there, the Wigs packed their CV with a host of impressive highlights. Now, this is a partial list, but I'm going to cram in as much as I can, okay? All right. They toured with the Killers and the Kooks. They played South by Southwest, Bumper Shoot, England's O2 Festival, and Ireland's Oxygen Festival. They appeared multiple times on Letterman, Leno, Kimmel, and Conan. They did a USO tour of U.S. military bases in Germany and the U.K., and along the way, they put out five fabulous records, their last effort being 2014's Modern Creation. Then, in June of 2017, after 15 years together, the Whigs decided to pump the brakes a bit and do other stuff. At the time, Gispert was living in Nashville, thinking about his next move, when an unusual invitation came his way. A friend called up and invited him to visit his 100-acre Tennessee hemp farm. Gispert not only decided to visit, once he was there, he decided to stay. For a year. <laughs> there was no heat, no AC, no active crops, and the water came from a well. So, in terms of daily comforts, it was going to take some getting used to. But, remember what I told you about location? The hemp farm, as it turned out, was the exact creative catalyst that Gispert was in need of. So, here's what he started doing. Rising early and strumming his guitar against the farm's landscape. And the songs just started to come, one after the other. And for a guy who'd always written in a dorm room, a studio, or the back of a van, the natural world proved to be the perfect environment for Gispert to stretch out in artistically. Every song on Sunlight Tonight was written outside. And as a result, it's truly an organic record of rural folk, acoustic psychedelia, and back porch indie rock. Plus, there are fuzz-laden tracks like Is It Nine?, and the horn-infused Too Dumb to Love Anyone. It's only eight songs, but it covers impressive ground. And while the wigs remain in limbo, he gets into that a bit, actually, in this conversation, Parker Gispert's got a new musical collaborator, The World. And testing the theory of location, 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 he now lives by a lake. So let's see what the next batch of songs sound like. In the meantime... Enjoy this conversation with me and Parker Gispert, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Did, did you find that when you were that you were in this situation that the songs just sort of they just sort of came or, or was it like one after the other? Or how was that process for you? Yeah, they, they just came and um for me, it's just being in a place where I'm able to receive them, you know, having, having the means to pick up the guitar and devote a couple hours to running down the idea or, um, just being in the headspace to take 
a little kernel of inspiration and see it through um, and having that kind of focus. Um, and once I'm in that headspace, uh, it gets pretty easy. And uh, I was able just to like, like you said, just let the songs come. And then once they were coming in, able to actually like translate them into something concrete. How long did it take you to realize that the, the environment that you were in was a good one for writing? Because a lot of times I'm a writer and sometimes they'll, they'll, you know, there's these things like, Oh, you can go to Italy on this, on this writer's retreat for a week. And you're like, Oh, I feel so much pressure. I have to write. And I, what if I would just want to drink coffee and eat bread? Um, it may not yeah. be the best environment. Like I, you know, you just, you just don't know. Yeah. You just don't know. Um, and so that's why I'll say like a lot of it has to do with me. Um, also like what's going on inside of me and where I'm at. Um, cause yeah, like you could throw me in the most beautiful place on earth and I might not, not necessarily want to use that time to write. And I think it was just the intersection of being in that place and also, um, knowing that the time was now to write a solo record. And, um, so yeah, it just uh, all hit at once. And I knew immediately I was probably out there for two or three hours. And I knew that it was the place that I needed to be to, to make the album and to write the album. So you knew it instantly. Yeah, I knew it pretty instantly. I, I was living in East Nashville and I just came out to meet my friend who was living out on this farm and just check it out. Honestly. Um, I'd like seen a picture that he had posted on Instagram or something. It was just like, man, what's he up to? And sent him a message. And he was like, Oh, I'm like living out on this farm Come check it out. And I was like, all right. And I came out there and, and I stayed for a year. It makes me wonder, like if someone said, Hey, I'm on a kibbutz in Israel or Hey, I'm in Greece uh, at this beach house. I wonder if the songs would have been different. Definitely. I mean, without a doubt, like, um, it's directly influenced by that specific time of my life and what was going on inside of me. And then also being out on that farm, that's, that is the record. So yeah, if I was like in Honolulu or, um, you know, Greece or whatever, I think internally I still would have been at the place that I was, but I'd be reacting to a completely different environment. So, so yeah, this album's definitely the the farm. And and how long did it take for you to realize, like thematically, that you were go- that you were digging it? What what were you digging at? I should say thematically, or, or what did you realize you were digging at with these songs? I think that, um, well, first of all, I just like there to be a setting, just like in a piece of literature or something like I like there to be a concrete place, uh, geographically where, where, um, things take place. And, and like you were saying with Greece or something to me, that's where things can get really interesting when you have the intersection of what's going on inside somebody and then a specific circumstance or location or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I, I wanted to establish that first. Um, but in terms of what I was mining at, I think uh, I tried to actually keep it pretty casual. I was listening to Mellow Gold, the Beck uh, album that I had on tape. 
in my Volvo at the time played tapes and I was listening to that a lot. And, um, obviously there's like bigger songs like loser or snoozer, um, or beer can or something. And I was gravitating towards like the two minute songs that would, you know, a lot of people would describe them as like filler or just like some weird noisy song, like in between more normal songs or something, but they were just like the sound of Beck having fun and, you know, being irreverent and being in control and not really like putting so much pressure on the whole thing, you know, and, and the album turned out that I, that a lot of it's more focused other than maybe like, is it nine or something, which, um, is a response to that kind of Beck thing, like not necessarily like having everything like need to be a formal song, but that headspace at least just like alleviated some pressure for me, you know? And I think that's what I was really mining at was just like relieving pressure and like finding like a therapeutic, therapeutic, um, <laughs> you know, gift from having the ability to write music, you know, it just felt good when I was out there writing like loneliness let's just say like like thematically let's just say you're working with loneliness and you're writing it on a hemp farm or you're writing it uh in greece or you're writing it in honolulu or in the back of a a vw bug i mean you're still the theme is the same but it but the angle of it your approach to it is totally different based on the geography yeah like for instance specifically like something like loneliness like that would be something that i would want to be um, I do have a song that I say, are you lonely tonight? But other than that, it's like, I don't know. It's something that I would want to be like heard and like a string arrangement or, um, it's something that I wouldn't like directly attack head on, but yeah, like the farm or I'd want it just to like make you feel that way. Maybe if that makes any sense instead of like attacking it, like what is loneliness or I'm going to describe loneliness, you know. Um, I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah, but. total sense. I mean, and does it, and okay, for you, cool. as a songwriter, does that make you think like, man, like the the possibilities of of writing have sort of like you know grown? I mean, not that we don't know that you know you can always you can always sort of write from a different place emotionally, but the idea that like geography can affect the way that you tackle a theme makes you, I wonder if it makes you want to go, uh, you know, ensconce yourself somewhere totally different for the next round. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have moved, I live at a lake now that's an hour and a half east of Nashville. The farm was probably like 50 minutes northeast of Nashville. And once I, I lived there for exactly a year and I wrote the album probably in about three months uh, from Halloween uh, to like March of the following year and um, then spent the next six or seven months touring on it before I recorded it. But, um, but yeah, once I was there a year, I moved to the lake, which is where I am now. And I think uh, I'm still searching for a setting for the next record or whatever I do next. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just wait. I think it might be like out on the road. I think it could be somewhere totally different. I'm, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, it's interesting to me, like, because uh, sometimes I find that when I'm when I'm not supposed to be writing, if I'm supposed to be at a meeting or, you know, 
I find the, that the, the words come easier to me if I'm, if I'm not supposed to be doing it. Um, and then I, then I find that if I am supposed to, if I you know, set time aside and I feel this weird uh, pressure to do it, I can't, I can't do it as much. It's hard. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah, I, um, I approach it like um, there's that Canadian label that I really love. It's Arts and Crafts. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of always look to that just when I think of what I do as an artist, um, you know, to me, it's equal parts arts and crafts and there's, you know, what you're trying to do artistically and what you're inspired by and all that kind of stuff. And then there's like sitting at the workbench and putting in the time and the labor to realize um, the art aspect of it. Um, and so, yeah, I will, when I'm writing, I definitely just make the hours and I commit to the time to sitting down and writing. And, um, you know, I, I commit to like the craftsmanship, um, aspect of it when I'm writing an album, I'm kind of always in more of the art headspace, but uh, I'm not always um, in a space that I have the time or the focus to dedicate to the craftsmanship side. So, yeah, I think they're both, you know, stuff that, you know, um, are important. I mean, at least for me personally, for my process. Has your discipline always been good as a musician? I mean, did you were you the guy who was in your bedroom for eight hours when you were 12. Have you always been that guy? Um, I think when I was younger, I just like was having so much fun doing it. I would just, yeah, do it for forever and set up stairs and be writing songs and lyrics and, um, you know, pretend that I was performing a concert to imaginary audiences or, you know, pretend that I was performing on some great show or, um, yeah, I I really devoted a lot of time to all that stuff growing up, um, and I wasn't it wasn't discipline at that point. It was more just like you know, just having fun. And uh, and no, I have not always been that disciplined. I had to learn it once we started touring more, and once we uh, you know got more serious about the band. Like I had to. Uh, learn the discipline to be like, Hey, like these are the two days you got, you know, to work and uh, let's get to work, you know? And it's weird that that sort of, uh, that fantasy, the rock and roll fantasy in during which you do cultivate a kind of work ethic and a discipline, even as a 12 or a 13 year old, that, that then transforms at one point almost magically into a vocation without you even realizing, right, that, like, the fantasy has now become the thing that it's putting food on the table. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. I've, I've really um, been fortunate in that sense, you know. Like, I always, um, you know, wanted it to be how I earned a living. Um, and, you know, there's parts of it that are, you know, not very glamorous or that are boring or, you know, like, if I'm updating all my tour dates on song kick or bands in town or 
inserting them into the Squarespace website or whatever, you know, it's not like the most riveting stuff, you know, but it's anybody's job, you know, if you're waiting tables or a fireman or an investment banker or whatever, you know, there's aspects of your job that aren't, um, you know, the, the funnest aspects of them. Uh, but you do them anyways and you do them well cause you want to do a good job. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I just consider myself really lucky. So, um, and I love, uh, having the opportunity just to like express myself and keep, uh, developing my art. Cause yeah, I do feel like I turned a corner at some point where, um, everything got a lot easier, you know, like I, like writing songs for a long time um, when I was younger was more like trying to figure out how I did it. Or even once I made a few good songs, trying to look back and be like, how did I do that? You know, can I do that again in the future and get awesome results, you know, and just kind of messing with different ways of writing and constructing things. Um, and I think uh, attacking it from a lot of angles at some point, um, I, it's like the 10,000 hour thing or something. Like, I feel like it just got a lot easier for me to get inspired by an idea and track it down and, and, uh, get it to where I, I wanted it, where I want it to be. You know, are you one of those guys that, that can plan ahead really well, or do you sort of take things as they come? Um, because you were saying that, you know, you always wanted to be in a band and you always wanted to do this. Um, yeah. But like, like whether you're living on a hemp farm, that I mean, that wasn't really a plan. That was more of like a whim, right? That turned into, uh, <laughs> that turned into a sort of like, yeah. I guess this is the current plan. Um, but are you the kind of guy that does plan ahead, or do you do you improvise? Well, I think it's you just build it into the plan. You know, I mean, you. It's like I'm well aware that I'm not in control. You know, I'm, um, like I can't dictate um how the world revolves you know it's it's uh not up to me and i think that you know being really comfortable with that and uh just being like you were saying like open to whimsicalness or open to be inspired by something that you didn't know was going to be there until it's right in front of you or whatever um being at that place like inside of yourself is um more what you have to plan um and you know you gotta take whatever steps necessary you need to like get to that place internally um because uh like you're saying it's like you just i don't know you can't uh even if i wanted things to work out a certain way like i'm well aware that you know they might not and i have to be prepared for that you know, and not only prepared to like endure it or something, but be prepared to thrive uh, with whatever gets thrown my way. You know, I actually had this conversation the other day with somebody and I thought I'll agree to anything. Um, you know, if it's like nine months in the future, I'll go, sure, I'll do that. Uh, but if, you know, <laughs> if it was like tomorrow, I wouldn't do that. So, I, you know, you got yourself into a situation that was so unique and so cool and you you knocked this record out. You wrote it in three months. So was the was the plan 
to stay longer or like how did that happen because you ended up staying nine months longer than the record was written right so you were there for a year yeah i was there a year and basically i our band had done a little tour uh for our live album that came out in 2016 and and i got home from that and it was early october and i had just kind of been in this place where i didn't no, it was going to happen with the band or I didn't know. I was just confused as to like what was happening. And, uh, yeah. So Halloween, it occurred to me like, Hey, like you need to, uh, do this. And, um, I went full steam ahead. I didn't have any shows cause I hadn't, you know, really written any songs and, uh, yeah. So I knocked out the writing process and part of the, record making process for me has always been playing material live and getting to know that material on a stage. Um, because I had written more songs than ended up on the record. And, uh, you know, you get out there and play the songs you've written and people come up to you after a show and let you know which songs they dig. And, uh, you know, a record emerged, from both me writing it and then me taking it out on the road. So I was on tour for those subsequent months that you were talking about, you know, and I'd maybe come home for a few weeks here and there. Um, and I, I kept writing the whole time. Uh, but when I had to decide like what I wanted the album to be, it just so happened that the songs that I chose were from that initial burst. Got it. What what's happening yeah. to you like artistically? How would you how would you describe where you are creatively? And and is it is it a particularly fertile time for you? Do you feel like um you know that the possibilities now are more endless than ever? Um how would you describe like what you're going through creatively right now? Yeah. Um I think that for me it's more the craftsmanship thing in terms of, uh, like I was saying earlier, just being able to, I feel like I'm not in the band setting, just like, you know, as the writer, um, and having it be, uh, my solo records, it's like, um, I'm just really open right now and able to translate that openness, um, better than I have been able to in the past. Like I'm just, um, I think I've written enough songs or like made enough records that I am just confident in how I can, uh, translate them into a final product. And, uh, so that's what I'm really confident in now. And at least for whatever's coming next for me, uh, I feel like it's more just figuring out like what I want to do, you know? And, uh, from there I'm, you know, I'm good. It's just a matter of, um, you know, figuring out like what you want to accomplish artistically. Like what's the hardest part for you about the creative process? Like where's your Achilles heel? Where, where has always been a struggle for you? Um, I think finding what to write about, um, 
because it's just so open-ended. You can write a song about anything. And uh, picking what is song-worthy and what's not um, was hard for me for a long time um, because I would just get inspired by everything and I'd be writing about everything. And uh, so I think discerning the that aspect of it was harder for me initially. I feel like I'm good on it now, um, but it took me a while. You know what's hard for me is like this happened to me yesterday where I took some time to write and I wrote for about an hour, Parker, and I everything I wrote was awful. And I was like I should have been a realtor. I just like – what I kind just, of writing? Like, yeah. like lyrics or um, I, I was writing poetry. Um, or... Yeah, poetry. So I'm, I'm I'm working on on a sequel to my my last book, and and sometimes it's there, and sometimes it's just not. And the moments where it's not there uh, are just so awful. Like when you know you have to write through the stuff that you're not going to use, but you got to get it out because it's like unclogging a drain. Yeah. Um, how are you with that? Um, I always heard that in order to write well, you need to commit to, uh, writing badly and, you know, it's, it's, it's a process and that's part of the process is like, you know, nobody has the Midas touch where everything they write is fucking gold. You know, like I've seen Bob Dylan lyrics where he's scratching words out and, uh, whatever. And, you know, the best writers have plenty of writing, I'd say probably more that they don't use than they do use. Um, and I just think it's part of the process and, you know, however you got to sift through that stuff or, you know, if you got to write 10 shitty poems to get one good one, or if, uh, you know, you need to free write and not write poetry and just get some of the thoughts you don't want in your art like out in a different medium or whatever but yeah i think it's just part of it like i don't i don't think it's any uh reflection on like how you are as a writer i think that uh the greatest writers ever like write stuff all the time that isn't you know their masterpiece or something and you become better at at throwing that stuff away yeah you hone in you, you go like these are tendencies that I have that I end up reading later and hate, you know, whenever I go to this place, I never like it. Um, you know, and after a while you get better at not doing those things. Um, so yeah, I think it's just part of it. Yeah. It's like a kind of artistic officiating because you have to sort of, <clears throat> you know, tell yourself, Oh, don't go there. That's, that's not a, a good place to go. Yeah. Yeah. You start like maybe patterns emerge, you know, like whenever I start writing about this or that, I end up reading it the next day and thinking that it sucks. So, you know, when your pen goes to start writing that stuff after a while, you remember like, Oh, I, I hate when I do this and you take it in a different direction, you know? And eventually it becomes the direction that you want to go.
I was born in Tampa, Florida, and I moved to Atlanta when I was real young, suburb of Atlanta, Roswell. Uh, I was probably five when I moved there. And I grew up there in Atlanta um, and went to college in Athens and lived there for 10 years, was there from when I was like 18 to 28, and then been in Nashville for six and outside of Nashville for the last couple of years. I used to think that, you know, in the 80s, I thought Athens was such a community, um, artistically. And I thought, man, everybody knows each other. Everybody seems to care about each other artistically, and they're supportive. Um, how much inspiration did you draw from sort of the musical DNA of that of that city? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's who I am through and through. I got home from playing shows. Last night, and uh, this Glands box set was waiting for me. It had gotten mailed to me, and Ross, their singer, uh, was somebody I... When I was in high school, I was... My older brother got me, like, Olivia Trimmer Control and Neutral Milk Hotel albums, and I heard about the Glands, and I just got obsessed with the Elephant Six. And like you were saying, um, that saying like about Athens that's this weird intangible and was just like man this is such a cool place and that's why I chose to go to school there not taking nothing away from the university but it was more uh the out of classroom education of you know what they had to offer as far as a local music scene so so yeah that's what brought me there initially and then once I got there um the glance singer had school kids records low yo-yo stuff, Luxury Records. These are local record shops that are, you know, immaculately curated by people who have a real relationship with music and have discerning taste. And um, the bands in Athens, I think because of stuff like that, you know, people just have good taste there and, um, you know, have good consciousness in terms of the artistic roll call. Like they understand what bands are on there and, you know, what stuff is, you know, just commercial or shallow or um, not real. And um, I think just living there and being surrounded kind of circular storytelling here, but yeah, so I got that glands, box set and Ross, their singer died a few years ago. And this is like a posthumous uh, collection of his life's work. And on the inside, there's a bunch of quotes from like local Athens people about him. And I wrote one, but, um, you know, all these people that I'm reading, uh, talk about him, like, you know, Andrew from elf power or, Patterson from Drive-By Truckers or Hardy from uh, T. Hardy Morris, the Confederate. It's like um, I was thinking this morning and last night just about Athens and like how special of a place it is, you know, how legit it is um, just as, you know, a music community. Uh, The people are just very real and, and talented. I saw that Athens, Georgia, Inside Out movie. Nice. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was 16 when I saw it, and I remember, like, Flat Duo Jets and uh, Dream is So Real and R.E.M. and and Pylon, and 
and all these bands seem to really care for each other. And it, it seemed like a really self-sustaining scene. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I'm from San Francisco and we used to have a scene here and, and Parker, we don't anymore. I mean, I, you know, the sort of the dot coms have forced artists out and the money, you know, to live in San Francisco is just not tenable for a musician really anymore, yeah. unless you live with, you know, 15 of your friends, um, which yeah. is, which is hard to do. But Athens, to me, even though the bands have changed, you know, like, like I don't think Dream is So Real uh, it, or Flat Duo Jets may not be around anymore. I don't know. But it's a very self-sustaining scene, and it's it's just as vibrant and vital as it was in 85. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, I do, too. I mean, even before 85, it's like it's just the right combination of being a college town big state school people from all walks of life and uh the downtown scene there's just a lot of clubs and bars that have live music on a nightly basis and if you're 19 and you got some friends that you want to jam with uh you're going to find somewhere that's going to give you a crack to play you know you're not in manhattan or um it's, it's not like hyper competitive numbers wise. Um, and so you can actually like develop, you know, and uh, it's a chill enough town. There's not so much going on. It's not a major metropolitan area that um, if you're going out to do something, you're probably going to end up at a concert. And during the day, if you're looking to have some fun and, uh, you know, you're artistically inclined, you have the headspace to, to work on your stuff. And, and yeah, it's really supportive musically and, um, like other artists go see each other and that kind of thing, like go to your friend's show and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the environment, like it's super, uh, liberal, um, politically, um, if you're, an open-minded person in the South um, and you're looking for an art community. Uh, in my opinion, it's the best one. Um, and so I think it'll continue to just flourish, you know, as long as those ingredients are there and I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. How long did it take you to find your people when you, when you showed up as a freshman? Uh, I had them, uh, Julian, our drummer, the Wigs drummer and I, we, we went to high school together and we had started playing together. Uh, and so, you know, right when I got there, had him and, uh, I'm pretty outgoing. I talk to people and, you know, strike up conversations with strangers and stick my hand out and introduce myself. And, um, pretty, pretty quickly, um, felt at home there, but coming from Atlanta, like I had a lot of friends from high school and, uh, you know, people that I knew that were already there. So many people make the wrong choice with, you know, in terms of their, their, their pick of college, they go for either the wrong reasons or they don't know why they're going. And right. <laughs> I like that you, you knew why you were going, you, your reasons were, were great and very pure. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's why I went, uh, was to start a band 
and to start playing music. I had played in bands when I was school, and there's always that thing of like, this can only really be so real because we're all about to graduate and go separate ways. So, you know, you never had the opportunity to like actually try for it. Uh, and Julian, our drummer and I, we both had that headspace of like, if we're going to devote six hours to this, you know, every day or whatever, let's like reap the benefits of the fun parts, like playing on a stage or going on tour or like making an album or whatever, you know, we wanted to just do it. Um, but yeah, I definitely knew why I wanted to go there. And I also dropped out. We signed a development deal with RCA in my junior year of college and I dropped out for a semester and, uh, that went South got out of the deal and re-enrolled and I got a philosophy degree. And at that point too, when I got back in at that point, it was different than the initial reason, which was to start a band. And at that point it was like, I'm going to go back to college because I feel like it's valuable to have an education. Um, and, uh, you know, I just feel like education is valuable. It's not necessary for everybody, but, um, you know, I wanted to go back and study philosophy and get a degree in something that I was interested in other than music, you know, just become a little more well-rounded or whatever. What was it about philosophy that pulled you in? Uh, I took a logic class my freshman year and there was this book called uh, Attacking Faulty Reasoning, which I'm looking at right now over on my bookshelf. Uh, and yeah, it's just this book that sort of laid out like um, – flaws in reasoning, you know, stuff people use every day to justify this or that, that's not a real reason to justify anything. And it sort of explains like why those aren't, uh, you know, legit ways of justifying something. And I don't know. It's just like, man, that's good to know. Uh, it's just <laughs> stuff like that, that I just thought was going to make me smarter. And I liked my professors. So that's, that was it. You know, I, I teach college for a living, and I always tell my students, you should keep this book. And I love the fact that you actually kept your books from college. Yeah. Yeah, I live at the lake now, and most of my stuff is in Georgia. And uh, the few books that I do have up here, I'm looking at my shelf, and a few of them are books that I, that I got in school. Yeah. I love hearing that uh, because I feel like I feel like my students are like, yeah, we'll keep them, but I know I know they're not going to, you know. Well, they're so expensive too, you know. I know. I mean, you buy the damn thing; it's like not going to lose track of it or whatever. Uh, were your parents uh, really supportive of your of your creative pursuits? Um, it's it, it's different. It's like. Uh, short answer is yes. I mean, they saw me in Macon last week. Uh, they've seen me play all over America, um, outside of America. Um, they have seen me like they've sat in the audience when I've been on like the late show or, um, at this point they're, especially now that I'm doing the solo thing they're they, they know what's up, but it's one of those things where, in junior high when I'd be down in the basement and I had homework to do and I was down there like singing and playing guitar, you know, 
they would sort of remind me like, yo, this is a hobby, not a career, you know, study. Uh, and I hated that, you know, it just made me want to write songs more, you know, and, and make it work out for myself musically even more, you know, kind of like let it be known that, yeah, this is a career. You can do this, you know? And, uh, so, um, I think that like the first time we were in Rolling Stone or like, you know, the first time we were on David Letterman, those are the kind of things that resonate with somebody who's, you know, grew up in the sixties, you know, those are like, those are milestones that they, that compute. So once that stuff started to happen, um, they were supportive. Um, but I just think being good parents, like they understand the pitfalls of being a rock musician, you know, the littered history of people being strung out on gnarly drugs or, you know, blowing their head off or, you know, just all that kind of stuff. So I think they were just like concerned for me, uh, which is fine. And, uh, and then once the band was, going through a weird spot and before I decided to go solo, they were in my ear about just being like, Hey, you need to take a good look in the mirror, zoom out, realize that you've devoted, you know, the last 15 years of your life to this band and, and being a musician. And, you know, I got a good education. I got good work ethic. Um, you know, like you don't have to do this. Like you can, do something else and you're not going to be like a failure or something, you know? Um, and I did take their advice. I kind of like took a second to sort of be like, what else could I do? You know, um, what else do I want to do? And luckily for me, I came to the conclusion like, Hey, like this is what I love. Um, I'm still just as passionate about doing this as I ever was. And, um, you know, I'm going to, keep going and I'm going to write a solo album and I'm going to start a solo career, you know? But, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a long way of saying that they're supportive, but you know, they're also my career isn't their most important concern. It's like my livelihood and my well being, like as their child is like their first concern. Like they don't really care if I, you know, sell 50 records or 5 million, whatever. I'd be more impressed with five million. <laughs> well, I mean, because there's there's the normal worries of rock and roll life, but also there's the practical worries of like health insurance, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that stuff would just freak them out, you know, and and uh, yeah. Well, but I'm I'm doing good. I got health insurance. Yeah, you're good. You're good. And you you sound yeah, yeah. healthy. Well, uh for you in, in your in your darkest moment of career crossroads, what were you thinking? What ideas were you coming up with? Honestly, I really didn't have a lot. Uh you know, it it I don't know, like I just didn't really want to do anything else. I I love doing this. Um like, I love the stuff that other people don't love. Um, you know, like right now I'm on tour and I drive myself everywhere. I'm in a car. I'm next in the next two and a half weeks. I'll do 
New Orleans, Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Reno, Vegas, San Diego, LA, Santa Cruz, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, and like just over two weeks, you know, and it's me by myself. And so like a lot of the time I'm just driving, you know, by myself. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm managing myself right now. Like I'm taking care of advancing the shows and ordering the merch and updating the website, doing, doing a lot, but that's what revealed itself pretty quickly to me is just like how much I like doing what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I didn't want to do anything else. So I didn't really come up with anything else that I wanted to do, which made my decision easy. How are you with those long drives? Like, are you really in your head or do you talk or do you talk on the phone and listen to music? Like, what do you in terms of those hours on the road? How do you how do you spend those mentally? Um, I listen to podcasts. I listen to um, for a while there. I was listening to a ton of news Um and, you know, the news has just been so interesting the last few years. It's just like there's Thrill a Minute there. Yeah. And then um, I listen to Stern and I listen to a ton of music and uh, I do some vocal exercises, call a friend. But in all honesty, it's like I there's something about that feeling where you're just always like, on the way to somewhere else, you know, and anything you got going on at home, any like worries about like the minutia of your everyday life, like any mail that you haven't opened or like the closet that you haven't cleaned out or whatever the hell, like those aren't problems anymore. You know, you're, you're waking up every day, um, getting in the car and like going to the next spot and, like, you know, when you're driving through the desert at night and you can see like the lights of Las Vegas in the distance or, you know, you're um, driving through Hollywood in the same car that you're using to drive down like this shitty country road, like <laughs> out near the lake where I live or whatever, you know, it's a trip um, and it's cool and it's fun and like, it's really vitalizing. Like I just... Um, I love it. So to me, it's pretty fun, you know. Do you do you miss the comradeship of your band? Um, I don't right now. I mean, you know, and that's no knock against them. Like I love them, and we've spent, you know, seventeen, eighteen years doing that together. Um, so yeah, it's no knock against them. Like I love them. And, um, if we were all touring together tomorrow, I'd be psyched, you know? Um, but I'm kind of like inherently, you know, got marching to my own drum kind of thing going on. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in a room full of strangers and, um, I'm comfortable being alone, you know, like I don't, I don't feel alone, um, uh, obviously sometimes you do a little bit or whatever, but I think that's healthy. And, um, and yeah, like I'm, I, I'm, I'm able to do it emotionally, uh, well, you know, like 
I don't like my companions are all out there. They're in all the cities that I'm going to, you know, they're like bartending at the bars and they're running sound at the shows and, you know, friends that I stay with out on tour and whatever. So it's like, I still have companionship. It's, um, you know, the thread isn't there of having somebody who's like there with you through all that stuff. But, um, you know, I've, I've been lucky to have that experience and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have that experience of doing all that stuff, like with a group, like most solo artists I know are envious of, uh, my history in a band. Um, uh, you know, like they always wish they were in a band or something, you know? And, um, you know, so I'm lucky that I've, that I've experienced that, but you know, this is a new trip and I'm digging it. Are you philosophical about the wigs? Do you, do you sort of think of them as being on like a, on a hiatus or how do you, how do you contextualize it in, in your head? Um, I, I stopped doing exactly that. You know, I stopped trying to like size it up. Um, ah. because that's what I was doing initially was trying to like size up, like what's going on right now? What are we doing? <laughs> you know, cause yeah, Tim, our bass player plays in Kings of Leon and, Julian, our drummer, uh, did a little stint with the Eagles of Death Metal. Um, he was playing with Karen Elson, uh, his band Lone Below, and one of my favorite bands, Band of Skulls, English rock band. Yeah. Um, and I know what being solo has done for me mentally. Like, being outside of our band and, like, having a new experience for me has been really huge. Um, and at the time, like, when stuff with our band was like more up in the air. Um, it was really hard for me. Like I was kind of just like freaking out and like trying to figure out what the hell is happening. And, um, you know, like I think that if we do anything in the future that we'll all come back fresh, um, we'll all have these new experiences to draw from, like it's only going to work to our advantage uh, that we're all doing this thing right now. Um, and if we don't circle back, like, you know, we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish. Um, you know, um, everything I wanted to do in the band, you know, I did, you know, I did, I never aspired to have like a hit record or um, a huge single or something. My goals were like, you know, I didn't, dream that far or something it was like if we could ever get on like a late night television show that would be the coolest thing ever you know or if we could play with these bands that were like bigger bands of uh my time that i was a fan with a fan of like that was kind of like the end all be all you know um those were the things i wanted to do and i did them um and um so yeah i just stopped uh trying to size it all up and i saw the guys a couple weeks ago julian had a birthday and um and you know like when i see them they're great i've known julian since he was in sixth grade uh you know so that's like a really long relationship and you know if there's however many years right now that we're not in a van staying at uh la quinta together and eating at <laughs> waffle house like it's okay you know like it's fine. Like, um, you know, 
like, you know, who knows what the future holds for that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I don't need to figure it out cause I'm touring my solo album and, you know, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Well, you know, I, I've been on board with your stuff from the start. And when I got your first record all those years ago, I remember thinking like, there's no apprentice years for this guy. Like he knows who he is. Like you really hit the ground running and your work has always been something I, I've admired. And, um, this new album is, is remarkable and not surprising. I, I'm not surprised that it's remarkable because your, your work has always been so strong and it just keeps getting better and better. And, um, a real treat to talk to you, man. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. So it's, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, of course. Likewise. And thanks for all those nice words. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been cool. That was cool. I like Parker Gispert. Uh, nice guy and uh, truly uh, a terrific songwriter. Check out his new album. Check him out on tour. Check him out. ParkerGispert.com will get you all the information you need to know uh, for the checking out of Parker Gispert process. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Uh, but if you're looking for all things that are related to Parker Gispert, well, that would be the place to go. Uh, for me, Alex Green Online is the place to go for all things that have to do with me. I know that sounds very narcissistic, and I suppose in some ways it is, but that is the place to go. I've got some live stuff coming up, interviewing some people in front of audiences. Uh, dates will be announced very soon, uh, so keep checking the site for that. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can also find me on Instagram embers podcast you can email me editor at stereoembersmagazine.com maybe there's a guest you want me to talk to maybe there's someone that i've already talked to you want me to talk to again doesn't matter drop me a line tell me who you want on the show and i will chase them across this globe uh with a microphone okay all right uh now listen i don't want to beg you i don't want to ask you for favors but i'm going to beg a little bit and i am going to ask for a favor when you go to iTunes, if you could subscribe to the podcast, maybe give us a rating, maybe say something nice, uh, maybe do both. If you have the time, we would appreciate it. Okay? Uh, all right. Let's close things off with a song from Parker Gispert. This is Do Some Country. I will see you next week, and thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast. I am a rock artist. I mean you no harm. I paint portraits on limestone Gathered on the farm To some country Let's have another beer Hey, hand me that lighter It's not a souvenir
garden at the top Thales of Miletus Aqua backdrop Do some country Oh 